Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. Acts chapter 2. We're going to go with verse 12. Thank you for standing there. You guys have been standing a long time. Amen. I didn't get an amen on I thought about it. Amen. <laughs> We've been standing a long time. All right. Acts chapter 2. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. What is that, what is that accusation? They're all drunk. They've had too much wine. And it's comical because it's early in the day. So somebody, they were mocking, so was trying to make a funny well, other. You know, if you're drunk by 12 noon, you're, you're, you're a pretty hardcore alcoholic, right? So here, they're, oh, they're drunk. They're full of new wine because they have just heard what? The 120 praying in tongues, and people were recognizing the languages of their homeland. Now, just think, many, 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 many people gathered, at least 3,000, because the Bible said 3,000 were saved, and we know not nearly, or, or way more than that were there because many people rejected what Peter said when he stood up to preach, but the Bible said 3,000 were saved at the hearing of what he was getting ready to say, and so understand that they were hearing languages being spoken from their homeland, dialects that they recognized from when they were children, and what, what these praises were saying, or what these tongues were saying, they were giving praise to God. They were magnifying God. It means to, to make God great, to make Him, to basically praising God in the language that they knew from their homeland. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, everyone say standing, lifted up his voice and addressed them. This is the same man who denied Jesus a few weeks before. This was the same man who started to walk on the water but became afraid. This was the same man who feared opinions. Notice the difference in his life. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. I love that confident. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. I believe we ought to be so confident in what we believe and what God has done with us. We can get in any group. We say, you need to listen to what I'm about to say. Because that does what? That shows you're confident. Because our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence rests in the encounter that we just had with him, right? For those people, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the, the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, that you would help us to dial in. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would attune our hearts to your spirit. God, I pray cell phones be off right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that distractions be put away right now because every demon in hell is going to come and try to distract people. So, God, I pray right now that we would be dialed into what you have to say in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you in, for, for a few moments this morning about what it means to be Pentecostal and why it matters. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? You see on the screen the title of this message is, This is That. And that's the King James translation of when Peter actually he got up and said, if I said in plain English, he would say, What you are seeing is this, or this is what. Joel the prophet said, in the King James, he said, this is that. And I, I, I love that old translation. This is that. Very concise, very to the point. This is what you are seeing. And I'm here to tell you this morning that as Pentecostals, we're not just a doctrinal difference from other types of churches. We have a completely different worldview. We carry a philosophy of life. Pentecost is not just about speaking in tongues. I want to submit to you this morning, in the words of author James K.A. Smith, we can speak in tongues. The question is, are you thinking in tongues? I'm not talking about praying your prayer language in your mind, but I am saying Pentecost comes with a worldview that's above and beyond certainly the unsaved world, but even regular vanilla, milquetoast Christianity. The way a Pentecostal reads the Bible is different than others. I've shared this before. We believe something called imminent grace. We read how Jesus healed the blind man. And a lot of people say, that's cool. Jesus healed back then. But a Pentecost reads that and says, Jesus can heal a blind man right now. It's not that he did it. He's doing it. It's imminent. He can do it again, and that's the thing. That's the point of Hebrews 13a we talked about last week. The same God that has walked with us through difficulties and has walked with us through tough times, it's the same Jesus then as it is today. Amen? It's popular today to say or to ask or to describe a church as being spirit-filled. And as a pastor, I hear this stuff all the time. Uh, it's a spirit-filled church. And I kind of have grown to not like that description because it's generic and it's, I think it's really misinforming. First, a building is not baptized in the Holy Spirit. People are. But the term spirit-filled may be applied to wrong things even. For example, a church is not spirit-filled because someone claps their hands or lifts their hands. A church is not spirit-filled because they do Bethel worship or Jesus culture or fill-in-the-blank worship song that you hear played on Caleb 45 times a day. That does not make you a spirit-filled church. You are not spirit-filled because the preacher likes to shout and spit or that he paces back and forth or that she gets excited when she preaches, right? That doesn't make you spirit-filled. 
How you know you're in a Holy Spirit church is when the Holy Spirit has absolute freedom to interrupt the precious order of service, when the run sheet is thrown away, when bringing two people, people to the altar is the norm, to lay hands on the sick, when that happens frequently, when you experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, when the Holy Spirit is allowed to interrupt the service, if you took a band off the stage and the people would just keep going and it wouldn't look sound like a funeral for God because the band stopped making their noise, but the people are filled with the anointing and the power of Jesus Christ, and they're still worshiping the Lord. That's how you know you're in a spirit-filled church. I was asked to preach in a, a, a friend of mine, Daryl Booker's church up in Lima, Ohio, a few weeks ago, and I love his church. They're having a move of God there as well in their body. And I, I, I told him, I said it to everyone there, I said, you know, I, I know when I'm in a good church when I walk in. It was a, the second time I'd been in that building. I, I'd preached both times. This is the most recent time, right, in October. I said, you know you're in a good church. And I asked the question, you know how you know you're in a good church? Like, oh, yeah. It's super easy to pray in tongues. I know I'm in a good church. I can pray out loud in tongues. And it, every, no, and nothing, <laughs> no one misses a beat. It's super, it's like breathing. I love that. I love that. I want to tell you, you're in a Pentecostal church, you're in a spirit-filled church, when people know how to use and offer up to God the fruit of their lips. You know you're in a spirit-filled church when there's people shouting to the Lord. And I hear people say, well, God's not deaf. Oh, you don't have to shout. Oh, well, Jesus shouted. Why did Jesus shout? Jesus stood up on John, in John 37, 37 and 38. The Bible says he shouted. Whoever is thirsty, whoever is dry, whoever is empty, come to me. I'm the living water. I'm going to give you water. If you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus also shouted another time. God's not deaf. Well, Lazarus couldn't hear either when he was in the tomb. He was pretty, I'm pretty sure he was dead. The Bible said four days dead. So who was Jesus shouting to? Lazarus! I believe in the shout, my friends. I want to tell you there is a prophetic unction inside uh, that when a church of Jesus Christ shouts and makes shouting part of its regular worship, it serves as a sound that beckons dead Christians to wake up. It serves as a sound that beckons to the faith of others, saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus is powerful. He is who he says he is. I'm not going to be the idiot that shouts at a football game and then comes to church with my hands in my pocket and I'm all silent. I'm going to be the same person. I can shout at a football game. That's awesome. But I'm going to come to God's house and I'm going to really shout over what really matters. And that's Jesus Christ, my friends, can transform lives. And his power is here today. And the moment that you're sitting in is pregnant with possibility. Don't let the devil lie to you. You know the devil's lying to you when you're sitting there criticizing other people around you. You're seeing someone worship and you say, yeah, but here, 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 here. Yeah, but they did here, here, here. That's what the devil does. He's the accuser of their brethren to discredit people. 
Also, you know you're under the influence of the devil when he keeps bringing up the past. You can't get over the past. You're stuck in the past. It's the past. It's the past. It's the past. You know what? You're demonized. You need to be set free. The Lord wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in liberty, and he wants you to stop critiquing. He wants you to stop analyzing. He wants you to stop looking around and finding fault with everyone else, and he wants you free. Woo! There are two practices revealed here by the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Peter, sorry, here in Acts 2, that we must undertake as Pentecostals more so. I'm going to get just a little bit philosophical this morning. I hope that's okay. Okay? <laughs> and the first practice that we must undertake immediately is we must take bold stance. Don't shout me down now. Verse 14, but Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed them. What prompted that? Someone giving a wrong interpretation of what just happened. Now those people are full of new wine. Nope. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to deliver them the truth. When the apostle Peter stood up, please understood, uh, understand that he also stood out from the crowd. You see, when we think of taking a stand today or standing up, we often view it as standing against something. I think we get ahead of the curve of uh, that a little bit, and, and we need to stand up for something. By doing so, we separate ourselves from the world. When, when we talk about standing up, everyone thinks, oh, we're going to go picket. Oh, we're going to hold up signs. Oh, we're going to go complain and gripe. No, 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 no. When we take a stand as Pentecostals, we are standing for something. We are standing for life. We are standing for the power of God. Amen? We are standing for what Jesus paid for on the cross. Are you with me? You've heard us say this a hundred times before, but the, the term Protestant, Protestant, right? The, the, the Protestant Revolution in the 1500s, I call it revolution, but you know what I'm talking about, hopefully. Under Luther and all the men and women that came after him. The term protest meant to take a stand for something. Time has changed it around to mean standing against something. I want to encourage you to think in terms of when you stand up, you're taking a stand for something. So when you hear someone say something crazy, you don't, don't, don't feel like you have, to, you have to jump in there and, and give them the opposite view. No, no, we're going to jump in there and give them Jesus. See what I'm saying? It's this world's full of crazy views. And see, there's a, maybe a fine line for some people between politics and, and Christianity. I, I want to I separate those for you. I want you to stand for Jesus. I want you to stand for holiness. I want you to stand for righteousness. That's what God's empowered us to do. Amen? He takes the stand in the face of those who are mocking and disparaging the 120. I believe what we're witnessing here is a level of boldness that the Holy Spirit brings that is so very needed today. I was thinking about this week, and many of the boldest proclamations came at the most intense moments in the New Testament. 
A moment ago I referenced when Jesus stood at the Feast of the Tabernacles. He said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. He did that where? In front of a hostile crowd. There was a group of people in that building that wanted to kill him, and they were looking for him. So he makes himself plain and obvious by standing up and shouting. That's boldness. When Peter and John were under threat of death and imprisonment, uh, that, that during, their, during their trial there in Acts 4, after they had healed a man, and just to be clear, this man is healed because of Jesus whom you crucified. This is what they said to them. Just to be clear, this man has been healed because of the Jesus, right? They're, they're facing the men who have the power to execute them and put them in prison, and they're looking at them, and this is what they say. Oh, no, no, understand, this man here that was healed, he is done though by the Jesus that you crucified and that he rose from the dead, and that even though you have rejected him, he has become the chief cornerstone. Stone, and there is no other name, Acts 4.12, look it up, given under heaven whereby men must be saved. I want to tell you, that's a level of boldness that a lot of people don't have today. Let me wait till my life's on the line, and then I'll speak. We misinterpret Romans 10.9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Who was Romans written to? Christians. Why would Christians have to learn the sinner's prayer over again? Not that that's a sinner's prayer. Have you thought about that? We give that verses to people who don't know the Lord. We think if you just say it and believe it. But we know that's not what salvation is. Yet that's how we've been taught, right? Paul wrote this to Christians. And what were those, what were those Christians going through in Romans they were being marched in front of the emperor and his minions and said, we want you to deny your faith in Jesus and embrace the emperor as the one true God. That's what prompted Paul to say, in that moment, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Why? Because 1 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's talking about in your most tense moments, in the moments where life is just giving you heck and you're going through battles. Those are the moments, my friends. That's where the gold is. That's where the power is. That's where we need the ability to stand say, no, Jesus is Lord. My faith is in him. I'm not listening to what the devil has said. I'm not listening to the lies of the enemy. Jesus is Lord. I confess him with my mouth. I believe with my heart. That's what Paul is talking about. See, a little bit different, huh? Twice in Romans 10, Paul asked the church to pray for him that he would be fearless and that he would fearlessly preach the gospel. You see, he had already backed up what he was saying. He said, now, I want you to pray for me that I will be fearless like I was just telling you. I want you to pray for me that I would fearlessly preach the gospel. But I want you to see this today. This is important. Our boldness is based on who we have encountered. If you have not encountered Jesus, you're going to lack boldness. See, that's why, we're, this, again, this is a Pentecostal worldview. 
it's not just nodding at the right tenets of faith and agreeing with the checklist of 10 things and boom, you're in. It's having an encounter with Jesus Christ. We believe encounters so much. Sorry to everybody watching at home. We believe encounters so much that we have created prayer banners that we can bring people up to and you can pick your encounter, right? You need to get saved. There it is. Filled with the Holy Spirit. God can do it today. You need to be healed today. I've seen God heal so many people in this place and I want to tell you, all of those encounters not only transform, but they will cause your faith to grow, and it causes something to explode inside of you that wasn't there before. That's why you bring in somebody who's not used to that, and they look like they're a deer in the headlight. What's going on in this place? We're talking about a God that's real. We're talking about a God is living. We're not talking. You're coming from a place that had Jesus on a flannel board. You're coming from a place that had Jesus in a little storybook. He's alive here. He's alive in this planet. He's alive today. He's changing lives. And if you'll just believe that, he'll change you too today. Whew. Mercy. I'm about to run again, man. I'll go right down that aisle and out that door there if you're ready. Pentecostal means I've had an encounter, and that encounter has marked me for eternity. I can't help but stand up because I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against the day that I will stand before him. Whew. Jesus. Jesus. It's important that all of our missionaries are Pentecostal, every one of them. Interns, assistants, full-timers, whatever they are, they better be Pentecostal. They better be attending Pentecostal churches when they're not in church or they're not leading. They better become Pentecostal practitioners. Hello. Because you see, Pentecost is a way of thinking. It's not just a church I attend. It's not just a doctrine. And if we're treating it like a doctrine, we've missed the entire point of the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing the world. Hello. The next practice we must undertake as Pentecostals is we must offer bold interpretations. This is my final point. We must offer bold interpretations. Verse 16, but this is that, or this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. A couple months ago, I mentioned this, and a couple people have asked me, they said, Pastor Eric, you said something about how did Peter know to quote Joel? Because I mentioned that what was inside of the Apostle Peter that caused him to take a scripture that almost sounds completely out of context because it doesn't even mention speaking in tongues, per se. talks about prophetic speech. And the reason is he had an encounter with the living God that said, this is that. Oh, this is that. Peter, that verse in Joel, this is that. Oh. You see, Pentecost offers an interpretation to the world that will transform this world. Because there's a bunch of people running around with too much wine interpretations. 
There's a bunch of people running around with the wrong interpretation of what they're seeing. And when the apostle raises his voice in 2.16, it is to offer an interpretation of what just happened. In other words, he had a boldness to stand up and, and articulate an interpretation of the events that just happened, to explain it for everyone, not just an interpretation, but really, and this is what we need today, a counterinterpretation. Because everyone's got an interpretation today. What we have to give is the counterinterpretation. I don't want to lose some of you. You look like you're getting, some of you getting sleepy. Hang with me here. We have to get encounter, we have to have encounter with Jesus that causes us to have the boldness to interpret the things we see in the world around us. I'll give you some examples. The past couple weeks, we've seen some horrific things happen. The latest, this 15, 14-year-old kid takes a gun to school, shoots and kills three or four of his classmates. Wounds a bunch of others. And, and, and the number one, I don't want to downplay the question, but it's dumb. <laughs> Why would he do that? Why would that happen? Well, hello. If you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, you understand that there are some forces at work in this planet today. There's good and evil. For God's sake, this kid was writing on his journal that morning saying, please make the voices stop. They're telling me to kill people. What, what, do, you th what, what do you think that was? This kid was under demonic influences. Please make the voices stop. Telling me to kill people. Who do you think that is? Mm, why would he do that? Is that, is that? Come on, are you with me today? See, it's Pentecostal, I hear that, and I say, dear God, we've, we've got to get Jesus to more people. We've got to get people delivered. We gotta, I, I shared with you about the young man in California a number of years ago. He went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, there are voices telling me to kill my family, and I don't want to do that. And I, 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 That scares me. And the pastor said, oh, you're saved. You don't have any problem with demons. We don't believe in deliverance here. A week later, he killed all five of his family members. Week before that, a guy drives SUV through a parade, Christmas parade in Wisconsin, kills three or four or five people, runs over 50 others. I'm still trying to recover. You go to his social media, he's filled with hate, hates people. Hey, you look in his eye, man, same thing as the other kid. Man, you look in these people's eyes and you can see that they're influenced by demonic. And people say, why would, so of course, the media ignores some of these things. Why would someone do that? Because there's a real devil, and there's a real hell, and there's a real heaven, and there's a real Jesus, and there's a real thing called salvation that we need. And I want to tell you, psychology can't explain it all. Mental health issues can't explain it all. There is a real devil, my friends, that must be defeated and confronted. And I want to tell you, we have the interpretation that will lead to life. I'm not saying everyone that does something like that is demonized or demon-possessed, but I think a lot of them are. I think, I don't know how you could sit there and say someone was right and make these voices stop. They're telling me kill people and think that's anything else but. See, the world's interpretation of what they saw in Acts 2, too much wine, 
But was that the correct interpretation of what just happened in the upper room? No. I read an article this week. It was interesting about how media today purposely misrepresents and misinterprets events. It caught my eye because of what I was preaching and preparing for. I was like, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to read that article. And I thought that is so true because some news networks won't even report some of the things I've just shared with you. They won't, even, they won't even report certain things because they don't fit a narrative. Or they'll just briefly mention it. Or they'll just kind of side glance it depending on what it's about. And they are literally choosing to misrepresent or not represent at all things that are happening. And the author of this article says why. And his final conclusion was because they can get away with it. As Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit, Pentecostals, friends, we carry an interpretation of the world that many others do not have. And I want to give you permission this morning. Come on, hear me. This is permission today to reinterpret, or I should say counterinterpret what is happening in the world today that are lost. It's time to stand and reinterpret or counterinterpret all of the too much wine interpretations. We need to point people to this is that. We need to be a voice today in our generation. It said there's a God that you've left out of your schools. There's a God that you've left out of your home. There's a God that you've left out of your child rearing. And that's why we are weeping, reaping a whirlwind today. Well, they'll think I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they will. They might even hang you on a cross and crucify you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll think you're crazy, but there'll be some who don't. Nicodemus will come to you and say, you know what you were saying in the break room? I need that. Come on. Nicodemus don't want anyone to see him because he's still, he's afraid of what people will say. He's afraid because he's got degrees and he's got doctorates. And he, but he, he was pricked in his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit by a simple man or a simple woman that had the guts to stand up like Peter, who they said, hey, it's an unlearned. This man hadn't been to school. This man hadn't learned anything. But they took note that he had been with Jesus. Yeah, 10,000 may not come to Christ, but 3,000 might. Acts 2.39. 3,000 came to Christ that day. You see, we're under this illusion, or delusion, I should say, that if we be vocal and we in love and do it all the right way, that we're just, everybody's just going to say, oh, yes, we'll follow Jesus. That's a lie. Yes, we do it. And I, I think we're bound by thinking, well, we have to do it just perfectly. We have to, it's like we just have to do it just perfectly. Like we're, we're trying to thread a needle at 100 yards. All right, we're going we're gonna to toss this needle in the wind. And let's see. Okay, we, and it'll just blow it. Oh, hit the bulls. How did we do that? You're never going to do it perfectly. There may be times where it doesn't sound like you're very loving in your voice, but it doesn't mean you're not. You may not have all your Bible facts when you speak up sometimes. You may not have all the things in order that you would like to, but I want to tell you, God honors the bold. God honors those who will step out in faith. And if you, know, if you think, well, you know, they may not say I'm, I'm loving, but you can start with that and say, I want to say this in love, and then you just go off, right? 
I want to tell you this in love because I love you and I don't want you to go to hell. And you speak the truth. That is the kind of bold reinterpretation or counterinterpretation that we need to provide today because this world is sin sick. And can I tell you, after I've dwelt in it 55 years, some of you can top me on that. It ain't getting any better. They're not closer to a solution today than they were back then. They're not closer to understanding what makes a 15-year-old kid that has all of his needs met go to school and shoot his classmates in the head. Why would someone do that? Why would somebody get in an SUV and drive through a parade of children and old dancing grannies, that's what they were called, and run, drive them over and kill them? Why would someone do that? It's because there's a force of evil on this planet, and his days are numbered. But the power of Jesus Christ is raising up the sons and the daughters of God right now for this moment and for this time. And for those who are bold, for those that will take a stand, for those that will be fearless and say, hey, this is that. This, hey, hey, listen to me. This is that. This is that. Don't crack a smile. Some people be mockers. They're going to sit there and say, oh, what's the punchline? No. No smile. This is that. This is that. Offer bold counterinterpretations to what is going on in the world today. Someone might say, why is our interpretation right? Probably nobody in here, but some might. My answer to that is because it comes from God. Because you're not even saved unless you have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You can walk the streets and say the prayer of 5,000 people. That doesn't mean any one of them got saved unless they had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. That's a spiritual thing. That's from heaven to earth. That's a conviction thing. That's like, oh, I'm undone. You're right. That's why we, we, we can't just have people pray a prayer. They have to hear why they're praying a prayer. They have to know why that Jesus died on a cross. They have to know why. Well, God loves you. Wonderful. Thank you for that information. That's not sufficient. They have to know why God loves them. They can't appreciate the good news until they've heard the bad news, and a lot of people don't want to give the bad news. See, the bad news is you're headed to hell because you're in sin. Oh, but here's the good news. Makes the good news worth hearing, right? You don't want to blow off the good news then. You give the gospel, it gives someone a chance to get convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because, see, our revelation comes from God. Because this whole thing is a revelation from God. God revealed himself to man. God revealed himself. He came as a baby, right? That was, that's the message of Christmas. This is a revelation, right? It's a revelation. God has revealed himself from heaven to mankind. He has paid a price for our sin. He has poured out his Holy Spirit. And every single person, listen, on this planet has something we call a construal. You know what a construal is? A construal is your interpretation of events and behavior that you see happen. I told you to get a little bit philosophical today. I hope it's okay. I just want, I want to encourage you to think in tongues, right, not just speak in tongues. A construal is your interpretation of the events around you, which you understand. They can be very skewed. People can see the same thing happening and come to the completely wrong conclusion, right? Those guys are drunk. No, they're not. 
Same thing happens today. Those people, they're racist. No, they're not. Those people, they're this, they're that. No, 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 no. Let's, let's get the story straight here, right? There's, there's all kinds of examples. We can, we can see something and assign meaning to it and run with it, especially if it fits our narrative that we're trying to carry. So, again, we separate politics out of the way, blow it away, and we've got Pentecost. We have Jesus, right? Okay, this is what we want to view things through. Tracking with me? So a construal. So, for example, you're eating at a restaurant, and you see someone suddenly grab their throat. And they start to turn blue, and they fall to the ground. What happens? You immediately interpret what you're seeing, right? You see what I'm saying? That's a construal. You're, you're interpreting. Or if you're walking down the sidewalk, some, by, some middle-aged man grabs his left chest ventricles. Oh, he turns blue, and he falls to the ground. You begin interpreting. What's wrong with him? Right? You would run quickly through all the possible explanations that might explain what's happening. And this happens in, a, in most people in, a, in just a, a, a nanosecond. But the thing of it is, not everybody comes to the right conclusion or has the correct construal, if you will, of what is happening in the world. In fact, it's often wrong. And in fact, the majority can have it quite wrong. The revelation of Jesus Christ clears things up. The infilling of the Holy Spirit clears things up for us. We shouldn't act surprised or shocked by what we see because there's a mountain of Scripture that speaks of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that He brings and the discernment that the Holy Spirit brings. So let's stop acting surprised that we have the answers. Can we, can we stop acting surprised that we know the answers? We talk all the time about a God of wisdom and the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. And then when these world events are happening and the world, it looks like it's, it's just, man, there's some horrible things where the demonic activity is just going amok and running awry. Really bad. Well, we don't know what's wrong. Maybe they need medication. Come on. Come on. Whose God do you believe? Whose God do you believe? What is very powerful about the Pentecostal worldview, it's not just a doctrine, my friends, but it's, it's a way we look at the world. It's a way we look at things. What we've experienced is not a compartmentalized way to practice our religion, brother. It's the practice of Pentecost. It carries with it an understanding of the world that crosses the sacred and the secular divide, and it informs my worldview. Everything I see matters. Everything I see is spiritual. Everything I see, God wants to invade. He wants to invade every system. Yes, he wants to invade politics. He wants to invade the arts. He wants to invade theater. He he wants to invade business realm. He wants to invade the academic realm. Absolutely. Let's stop dividing it all up. Let's take Jesus in full force. Let's start thinking in tongues, right? I'm always concerned. If I find my worldview agrees with Satanists, atheists, and Marxists, uh, there's some profoundly flawed and wrong things in my worldview. Something's wrong. Certainly not thinking in tongues. See, the world's interpretation, this is drunkenness. The apostle Peter countered that with this is what the prophet Joel said. His interpretation was spiritual. 
This required more boldness because he says this is that which the prophet Joel and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. And the sons and daughters, the men and women, understand the day and time he was saying this. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Men and women are going to dream dreams. Slaves, free. It doesn't matter what class of society you find yourself in on any time period. The Holy Spirit is for everybody. The Holy Spirit will set everybody free. The Holy Spirit is for men, women, boys, and girls, and a lot of you will prophesy. He is poured out on us, my friends, so we can be a voice in our day that we live in, no matter where we live, no matter how much money we have, no matter where we fit on the social and economic ladder. He's real. He's poured out. And guess what the time frame? And he even threw in some app, uh, app, app uh, no, I was going to say apostolic. He threw in some future things. <laughs> threw in some future stuff. Apocalyptic, there we go. Moon will turn to blood. Right? He just went on into the future of what's going to happen. There will be revelatory things happening. Apocalyptic things happening. And guess what? The time for this is now. The day is today. This is the imminent grace. Today, now. It starts now. What God wants to do is now. What God, the freedom he wants to bring is now. The healing he wants to bring in your body, now. Now. One thing we see immediately at Pentecost is, is what we see today in postmodernity. The postmodern world is a conflict of interpretations. And actually, this is one of the hallmark signs of our world today, a postmodern world. We live in it has conflicting interpretations, stark opposites, stark division. People say this country is so divided. Yeah, there, there's a lot of division worldwide. There's a lot of divisions, is particularly between the Christian worldview and the secular worldview. That's the sharpest, that's the sharpest edge of difference there is. And you're not going to bind them together. You're not going to cause them to meld into one. There are people that would like to do that. But please understand, I want to tell you, we, we live in a, in a world that has conflicting interpretations. Our postmodern world often asks, what does this mean or why is this happening? And in response, all we can offer is offer the Holy Spirit interpretation. The mockers will always have their too much wine theory. But believers empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit of God will offer the Holy Spirit theory, and we should. Note that our bold stand and interpretation won't win everyone over. Verse 41, not everyone will listen. However, just as the Apostle Peter found out, when we offer God's interpretation of events, it will cause a whole lot of people to see the world the way they previously had not seen it. We face many too much wine theories today. And things that unfold in our world. And it's our moment to stand and interpret and proclaim. So what I'm suggesting is we need bold believers taking stands and counter-interpreting what this world is saying today. We saw Jesus do this in the gospel. We saw it happen on the night of his birth. You know the angels came? Shepherds, here's what you're going to see. A baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Now, if the angel hadn't told them that, that probably wouldn't have been that big of a sign to them, right? 
probably on any other day they would have walked past that. Oh, that poor family. They must not have found anywhere to have their baby in there. They're having the baby right there. And oh, okay, well, poor, poor family. But the angel did what? Reinterpreted that. You're going to see something. <laughs> Normally you would walk past this, but I'm going to let you know this is a sign. That is not just a baby. That is a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David is a Savior. His name is Christ the Lord. And this, this is your sign. It's a little baby wrapped in cloth. Shepherds had to get a counterinterpretation for what they had about to see. When Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, remember he said, what do you go out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? A prophet? Yeah. Oh, no. More than a prophet. He reinterpreted it for him. He counterinterpreted. No, no, no. John's more than a prophet. We see that over and over and over. John the Baptist, when he introduced Jesus, he made sure those in the crowd got the correct interpretation. They saw a teacher. They saw someone they didn't even know. And John said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was giving them a counterinterpretation so they would understand the one that they were seeing is not some dude. I want to tell you we have a message for today. For now, my friends, that the world needs to hear my question to you this morning. Has this message changed you? Because the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Titus 3, 5 says that we have been transformed through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And let me ask you the all-important question. What have you done with it? What have you, how has it changed your life? If you've encountered Jesus, your life has changed or you didn't encounter him. You came to church, you felt guilty one time and you flew straight for three days, you went back to your sin. That's not freedom. That's trying to white knuckle something. Oh, I'm trying to reform my life. I don't like where it's going. I don't like where it's headed. I don't like the crapola that's happening to me. I need to do something different. Yes, you do. You need to, you need to die to yourself. Go all in with Jesus Christ because part, part Jesus won't save you. Most of you, doctor gave you some antibiotic for a, a serious illness. They said, now, if you take all your antibiotic, all gone, it'll go away. Make sure you take, doctors always say this, take it even after you feel better. Take it all till it's all gone. How many of you would say, well, I'm going to take it for a couple days? No, probably nobody would do that. Then why do you do that with Jesus? You got the same mindsets. You got the same circle of friends. You got the same losers on Facebook you're posting with. You got the same, the same people agreeing with you. And you, you. You haven't broke it off yet. I'll put on a little worship so I feel better. You're just playing lullabies for the demons. You're trying to placate in your mind. But you, if you would surrender to Jesus, let him transform you, come clean, God would break all that off of you and you would be new. And see, then we're in a position to speak. See, that's what's rough. It, 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 as long as we struggle, it's like we don't, I don't feel like I should say anything. I don't feel like I, yeah, of course not. That's how the devil wants to silence you. If I, can keep, if I can keep this problem running in the background in their life, that will effectively shut their mouth. That's what the devil thinks. 
if I can keep this doubt going, if I can keep this, this situation going, or th this little thing that they're living in here, they need to get out of, if we can keep that going, they're either going to be a miserable individual trying to do it, or they just won't say anything at all. And that's where the devil wants to live. That's where the devil wants you to live. That's why today I'm saying, I want to give you permission to break free from all that and be a voice. Come on, we have enough echoes in this generation. We need a voice, right? We have enough people quoting other people. That, come on, God wants you to be a voice. You have a unique voice and a powerful voice that God wants to lift up inside of you. And most of all, he wants you to live in freedom. Are you with me? If you've met, G if you've encountered Jesus, come on, what have you done with that encounter? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to Pentecostals now, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, what are you doing with that? We just checked the box. We got it, brother. Would you understand we were given that power to, to make a difference in people around us? We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Oh, God, what have we done with the hope and the power that we have inside of us? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. If you need a transformation in your life, you need to encounter Jesus, I want you to come and kneel at this altar or stand at this altar quickly. Come, come, come. I need to encounter Jesus today. I need to encounter his power. I need his freedom. I need his life. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All over this place, I need to encounter Jesus today. I need his freedom. Come on, come on, come on. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. Don't wait. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what title you hold, if any. Come on. I need to encounter the power of Jesus. I need his healing power. I need some transformational power. Come on. He's a God of encounter. Remember, the apostle Peter had many encounters with Jesus, but it was that last one, my friends, that caused him to stand up and address the crowd. He was there on the Transfiguration Mountain, and he saw Jesus and Elijah. He saw them come together. But I want to tell you, it was what happened in the upper room. that trans That's what happened on that day that caused him to stand up and say, this is that. Come on. Jesus, send your transformational power now. Send your transformational power now, God. Now, Lord. Oh, God, give us a washing and a renewing by the Holy Spirit. Give us a washing and a renewing by the Holy Spirit right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. A washing and a renewing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.